Amen. Thank you, Jerry. What a tremendous reminder to us of what we really believe at the core of our being. That our God is a mighty God, and He works effectively in us to make all things new. In us, and thereby all around us. Now, that's not a magic statement. That's not something where God kind of waves some kind of wand and all of a sudden, you know, there's all these changes. God works in us, and what He's up to by working in us, we seek to cooperate and allow it to work out of us. And it involves choices. It involves decisions that you and I make countless times every day. And so uh, as we embark on this new year, as we embark on a new season... For God to be mightily at work in us, what kind of decisions will you make? What kind of choices? We're kind of doing a little partnership thing for the next eight weeks. For eight weeks here on Sunday mornings, we'll be addressing some topics that will also be addressed in the small groups that meet all around the east side uh, during the week. And we'll uh, base some of our conversations around this book, Life's Healing Choices, which is a study based upon the Beatitudes of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. So when Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, and blessed are those of you who mourn, and blessed are those of you who are peacemakers, etc., we're going to be gleaning the truths from those Beatitudes from, from Matthew chapter 5, as uh, is spelled out in this book. And so we want to encourage you to process with us. Be a part of all eight Sunday gatherings here. And be a part of a group experience for eight weeks uh, as you will debrief some of what we talk about in here and as you will process some of what you have read in a given chapter. Now, if you look inside your program for just a moment, you'll see there are several inserts that will help you to make the most of what we're going to be up to. One of those pages says, Life Healing Choices, Small Group Guidelines. Our group gatherings are going to be very safe places for you to do some life process. And so we'll be encouraging all of our groups to agree with one another to those guidelines so that you can share your thoughts and feelings and you can process some stuff and you don't have to worry about how other people are going to react to that. So these are going to be very safe environments to conduct the processing that God's going to be doing in you. And then we're going to ask you to make a commitment. You're going to get out of this exactly what you put into it, only more so... God's going to multiply what you put into it. And so we're just encouraging you to take it very seriously, uh, soberly, uh, confidently, prayerfully, with faith, that God's going to do something very mighty in me and ultimately through me. And so we're going to encourage you to make a covenant with those that are in your group that you'll be consistent in your participation, that you'll pray for one another, that you'll hold confidentiality with one another, those kinds of things. And you'll hear more about that in your group this week. There's another handout that says Life Healing Choices, Week 1 Assignments. Every week that you come here, there will be an insert. Next week it will say Week 2 Assignments and so on. And these will be some uh, uh, prompting kinds of questions for you to respond to. Uh, we'll encourage you to write them down. Obviously, you don't have space to do that on this page. And so we're also going to encourage you to make use of a notebook. Grab an old notebook that you have at home. 
uh, go down to the store and pay $2 and get a new, fresh notebook, whatever you want to do. But I want to encourage you to use a notebook, write down your answers week after week, uh, according to this guide page. And then when you actually get into the book, you'll find that at the end of every chapter, it will have three or four little reflection pieces for you. Uh, at the end of every chapter, you'll want to write down some of those in this little notebook and have some things to pray about. So maybe you'll want to record some prayers in your notebook. And it'll have some things to share, which is to say, uh, some of you are going to want to not only engage in the group process, but maybe find one special other of the same gender. So guys, get one more guy. Ladies, get one more woman and purpose to share on a more personal level than what you will do in your group some of the things that you're processing. You're saying, Scott, this is a whole lot of stuff you're talking about. Yeah, but there's going to be a whole lot of outcome. What you put into it, God's going to multiply, and what you get out of it, it's going to be way beyond some of your expectations. And so I just want to encourage you to engage with God Engage with the community of faith. Allow God to do something very special, very defining in your life. It could be that January and February of 2009 become 60 of the most important days that you've lived. I don't think that's hyper overstatement. I hope with all my heart to that end. That many of us, many of us have a special breakthrough. And you go, you know, Scott, I've been a little out of the group loop. Help me with that. Well, this blue page that's inserted in your program tells you about the various groups that we have. We have mixed groups, couples groups, young groups, uh, all age groups. We've got all kinds of opportunities for you, various days of the week, nights, mornings, etc., and so uh, you go, but, you know, I haven't been a part. Hey, they're expecting you. We're rolling out the red carpet. We hope that you will come to our groups this week and uh, begin to give it a shot with us. Now, recently, a survey was done where some were asked, do you have any regrets? Do you? What are some of the regrets that you have over the past 12 months, the past two years, the past five years? What are regrets that you're carrying even now for a lifetime? God is going to be at work with you about some of these things that cause you to cringe, that have a regret factor to them. Let's think about that for a moment. All right, a lot to think about, huh? I am so full of anticipation about what I think God wants to do for you. I know God is inclined to bless you over the course of these days and weeks. I am so full of hope and anticipation for you. And when we come to the conclusion of this eight weeks, what life might look like for you. You say, exactly, who are you talking about, Scott? Am I really in that picture? Well, let me ask you, do you ever eat or drink too much? You need to exercise 
but don't? Do you know what the right thing is to do, but you don't do the right thing? Do you know what the wrong thing is, and yet you do it anyway? See, if that describes you, then that's what this series and that's what this day is all about. Jesus said in Mark 2.17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners. And so if you're a bit of a screw-up, if you uh, don't get at what you know you need to get at, and yet you keep doing the stuff that you know you shouldn't, then God's got a plan for you. God's got a hope and a purpose and a promise for you. So if you fit into this category, welcome to the human race and welcome to the workings of God over these days. Uh, If this doesn't describe you, if you're one of the perfect people, then uh, we probably should have posted the sign at the door, no perfect people allowed, because this is a place for the imperfect who will meet with a perfect God. You say, well, Scott, what kind of problems do you actually think I have? Oh, I don't know. Anybody overwork a little bit? Anybody overeat a little bit? Anybody overspend? Ouch. How about make too much use of prescriptions? Drink a little too much? You're dealing with grief? The series is for you. You battle with guilt. You have a struggle with getting angry and kind of raging on people. What about dealing with a divorce? Some kind of sex problem, abuse thing happening around your life? Codependency? You can't be happy unless somebody else is happy and you're constantly trying to make them happy so you can be happy. You go, that sounds crazy. Yeah, you're in the right place. What about insecurity? What about perfectionism? Have I got a brother in the house? What about procrastination? You can get back with me on that later. What about lying? You go, not me. Yep, you fit. What about... A controlling nature. Just always trying to get it under control. What about gambling? I could go on and on, but as you can see, my page filled up. The fact of the matter is, everyone, everyone has hurts, has hang-ups, has habits. We all do. And so this season is about all of us. And what God's going to do about that with us. Now, I believe that after we've gone through this season of cooperating with what God is up to in us, as He begins to heal some of the hurts and deliver us from the hang-ups and free us from the habits, that we will be freed for a reasonably happy life. I've been saying that over and over for the last few weeks, that this is going to be steps to a reasonably happy life. And a couple of you said... Why reasonably happy? How about just this totally awesome, unbelievably happy life? Well, as God does a healing, restoring, renewing kind of thing for you, you're still going to live in a sick world. 
you're still going to be surrounded by sick people that do sick things. And so the, the reality is a reasonably happy life is all that's really promised in this life. That like totally awesome life is on the other side and that is our promise that we're moving toward. Someday God takes us to be with Him forever in a place called heaven. But right now, we're in a broken world. And He's going to be at work in us so that we can have a reasonably happy life. Does that sound like a deal? Sound like a journey you want to jump in there with us on? You go, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about all this that you're talking about. It just seems like you've amped up the anticipation so much and you gave us all these homework sheets and these inserts and there's a book there. I don't know. Well, here's today's step. We're just going to break this down in little steps for the next eight weeks. Today's step is this. It, it really is a doable step. Today's step is admitting need. You have a need? Now, you know, we all go, sure, sure, I do. But there's a whole other level where we don't want to really acknowledge that. Because that has all kinds of implications that go along with it when we do. So, let's just remind ourselves. We are very, underscore, 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 needy people. We are very needy people. And we need all kinds of things. And that which is, is common to us, I'm just going to mention three of that, that which is common to us. We need God. And there is no hope in the universe that you can have God unless God allows you to have Himself, discloses Himself, reveals Himself, gives Himself. I don't care how accomplished you are, you can't get God unless God gives Himself to you. The good news is He has if you will receive Him. I need God. You need God. I need God's salvation. Because the fact of the matter is, God wants to give me this treasure. He wants to give me Himself. But I've got a problem in receiving the gift and it's called sin. And it causes this chasm, it causes this separation between me and God. And so God says, okay, I'm going to help you have me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you of sin. And I'm going to absolve you of punishment and any penalty. And friends, I need that salvation so I can have that gift called God. And not only that, my sin, in the process of separating me from God, has robbed me of all that God wanted to give me with Himself. And so I need restoration. I need Him to rebuild in me everything that my broken ways has torn apart. And so just to be brief about it, I need Him to restore my sense of purpose. My battered life keeps distracting me and, and derailing me from this awesome purpose that God has for my life, that God has for your life. Do you know that if you have accepted Him into your life and you've been forgiven of your sin, 
He has this incredible purpose for your life whereby you are an ambassador of His in this world. You see, now that you are His son, now that you are His daughter, the question is there, well then why don't you just take me home, Papa? Why don't you just allow me to come home, Abba? Because, my son, because, my daughter, you are my ambassador in this world until I come again to receive all of you to myself. He restores that sense of purpose to me. He restores the promises of how He will commune with me, guide me, heal me, nurture me. All these promises. That gets restored. And then His power. His power to carry out His mandates and His desires and His wishes to be His agent in this world. So, just those three things we need. We need Him. We need His saving work so we can have Him. And we need His restoring work so that we get back all that sin and brokenness has robbed from us. We are needy, needy, needy people. And if you're going to be able to move through today's step, you're going to need to admit need. And when we admit need, it calls for us to be humble. But the fact of the matter is we don't want to be humble. We want to be in control. We don't want to, oh man, I need so much from God. We want to have our hand on life and control it. It calls for us to acknowledge what's broken. We don't want to acknowledge what's broken. We want to pretend that everything's okay. It's not fun to acknowledge what's broken. It's more fun to pretend it's okay. And we're also going to have to experience the pain that comes with brokenness. And we say, I don't want to experience pain. And so we do medicating kinds of things to deal with our pain. And we overwork or we overeat or we overdrink or we over whatever. And friends, if we're going to admit what needy people we are, we'll have to be humble about it, acknowledge what's broken, experience a little pain. And in the process, know the hope of what God will do with us when we position our lives with Him in that kind of way. Now, there's a type of person today that won't go there. You say, who wouldn't want God's person and relationship and salvation and restoration? Who wouldn't want that? The person who won't admit need. The person who will choose denial instead. You know, what do you mean? Well, let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. A few years ago, I played in a basketball tournament in another state. And while we were engaged in the tournament, there was a horrific accident that took place. <clears throat> the tournament people, unthoughtfully, placed one of their tables at the end of the court, about three feet from the out-of-bounds line, where they had some of their stuff going on. And in the course of the game, uh, a lot of us were running down court as fast as we could at that given point and one guy was trying to score and as he went up into the air going at full speed 
he got bumped a little bit and lost his footing and took another couple of steps and absolutely slammed into this table that was under the goal. Now, I was right next to him, so I not only heard the crash, I saw this full force impact. I mean, the guy was going absolutely as fast as he could, and the first part of his body that hit the table was his nose. I mean, he just smashed and crashed into that table. Immediately, blood was gushing and there was a pool there and I grabbed a towel off a bench and we were applying pressure and somebody starts calling for an ambulance. And this guy whose name is Bill began saying, no, no, I don't need an ambulance. I don't want to, don't anybody call an ambulance. We're going, man, you've got to have an ambulance. No, I don't want an ambulance. Just get me over to the side. And so, you know, we didn't know who he was really. He was just one of the participants in this tournament. So we helped him get over to the bench and he sits on the bench the rest of the game with an ice pack on his nose. We finish playing. And when the game's over, I go back over to him. And it's only been 20 minutes, whatever. And he is black and blue all over his face. And he's got this massive gash under his nose. And uh, he's got this pounding headache. He's feeling nauseous. And I'm going, man, you got a concussion. You probably got broken facial bones. I mean, we need to get you to a hospital. And he wouldn't go. I begged him and begged him, and finally he relented and let me... I didn't even know the guy, but he let me take him to the hospital. So we get him to the hospital, and sure enough, they do x-rays and they treat him and all this. And he's got a broken nose, he's got broken cheekbones, he's got a broken left orbital around his eye, etc. And he's got a concussion. And no-brainer, no they want to keep him overnight. No, I'm not staying overnight. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Just uh, let me, you know, get my clothes and all that. We could not get him to stay. And so he comes back with me in my car, and I'm taking him to the gym where we had played because his vehicle's in that parking lot. He won't even take the prescription they gave him for painkillers. I'm like, what is with you, man? And so as we're getting close to his car, I'm saying, you know, probably you should let me take you home or wherever you're staying because I'm not sure you should drive. And when I mentioned home, I had a little breakthrough. And then the guy's story begins to come out. He had lost his job. He had lost his wife. He lost his home. He was living out of his van. And the way he was coping with all of that loss is by denial. It's all, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. How are you doing, man? Are you hanging? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And that had so exaggerated itself that now the guy is a black and blue bloody mess and he's fine. Friends, you have bruises, wounds, hurts, that are not visible to the outward body, that are just as real as Bill's were that night. You've had concussions. You've taken life blows that have knocked you off your feet that need emergency, ongoing care from God that you've not gotten. 
because of denial. How are you doing? Fine. Doing fine. And if you can prop yourself up with a certain kind of job, a certain other kind of relationship, a certain kind of accomplishment, a certain kind of bank account, if you can prop yourself up with these things, you can maintain the facade and say, I'm fine, I'm fine. The guy was in his van, living in his van. I'm fine, I'm fine. And those props amount to living in van. Now here's what we mean by when we talk about denial. It's a false system of belief. It's not based upon reality. That we use as a self-protecting behavior that keeps us from honestly facing the truth. So friends, if you're overworking, if you're overeating, if you're overspending, if you're dealing with grief, if you're uh, dealing with a divorce, if you've got uh, you know, guilt and shame in your life, if there's a, uh, a pattern of procrastination that goes on you, perfectionism, on and on, all those things that we just mentioned, you are not fine. You're hurt. You have a need. And God knows it. Just like everybody in that gym knew, Bill's got needs. God knows. You've got needs. God wants to help. God is bent toward helping and blessing you with these needs. Now, here's how you know when you're in a state of denial. You ever hear things like this? Can't we just stop talking about it? Talking makes it worse. Denial. If we don't talk about it, it'll go away. Let's pretend it didn't really happen. It really doesn't hurt. I'm fine. If you didn't nag me, I wouldn't. You fill in the blank. Denial. So, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 6, verse 14, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. We're talking today about admitting need. So that God can effectively work in us. Now, if we choose denial instead, and I pray we don't, you should know what the outcomes of that will be. So first, it will disable your feelings. You stay in denial, and it will disable your feelings. You go, what are you talking about, Scott? Well, when you practice denial and you're pretending like things are one way when in reality they're another, your feelings begin to shut down on you or they get confused on you. You follow what I mean? So you may have something going on in your life where you're sad. But because you've been living in denial, sad gets confused and gets expressed as mad. Sometimes you act mad when really you're sad. You go, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. The other day at my house, 
I was walking around mad. And I was snorting and stomping and all this kind of stuff. And Sherry says, what are you mad about? I go, I'm not mad. She goes, well, you're acting mad. You're talking mad. I go, well, I'm not mad. <laughs> Convincing. And so it gave me cause to pause. And I kind of, a little bit later off by myself, began to think about, you know, I am acting kind of grouchy and mad. And what's going on? And the fact of the matter was this. Because I engaged God prayerfully, He began to speak into my heart. And I began to see... There were a couple of things in my life that were beyond my control that I was fearful about how they were going to turn out. But instead of allowing myself to feel scared, which is not a pleasant feeling, I got confused and acted mad, which is a whole lot more comfortable to me. And this is what happens when you live in denial and when you won't face the reality about what is. My reality was I had fear. I didn't want to feel fear. I denied fear. And so I had this weird emotion thing happening instead. You know what? If I will acknowledge my fear, deal with my fear, turn to God about my fear, He will help my fear. But if I'm going to be in denial and act mad... You're not going to be able to do anything about that until they can get my attention and help me to see the reality. The outcomes of denial will disable our feelings and it results in an energy loss. Because denial perpetuates anxiety. It makes us nervous. Because there's a part of us that knows reality's over here, but I'm doing it over here. And so it just brews an anxiety, a worrisomeness, a fretfulness. And that doesn't happen cost-free. You burn a lot of energy with worry. And so denial keeps you in worry and anxiety, and it drains the energy that you would have to apply to reality. A third thing is that it negates growth. You see, God is so magnificent in His purposes, so incredible in His power, He will not waste any of your pain, any of your sorrow, any of your heartache. You ever go through something, God will not waste that. He'll take that and transform that and use that for great and glorious things. Some of you have been through a divorce. God's not going to waste that if you'll turn to Him about that. God will do a work of healing in you and restoring in you and renewing in you so that later He can use you in those lives around you that are likewise going through a divorce. But, if you don't experience Him in those kinds of ways... All that growth He would have done in you and all the growth that He would have brought through you to someone else, it's all negated because you chose denial instead. And then a fourth thing that happens is denial isolates you from God because guess what? God lives in reality. And so if reality is over here, God's over here dealing with reality. But if I'm over here dealing in denial... We're isolated. 
And so I want to choose reality and stay close and connected to God. And at the same time, denial alienates me from my other relationships. So what was going on the other day when I was scared but acting mad? Did Sherry want to be around me? No. Did anybody else want to be around me while I was stomping and snorting around? No. All kinds of space between me and my loved ones because of denial. And then finally, denial lengthens the pain. Now, my friend Bill, my new friend, <laughs> that you know, I was trying to take to the ER and help with all that night, do you think he accelerated his healing by his behavior or lengthened what the complications were going to be? He could have stayed in the hospital. He could have gotten some medications. He could have gotten stitched up properly. He could have had all this stuff done in you know, a couple of weeks. He'd have been okay. That guy is still, unless he ever went and got that thing addressed, he's still bearing the marks and the scars from that night. It lengthens the pain and the whole process. That's the outcome. So here's our beatitude from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he said, here's what you've got to understand, friends. If you want to have a reasonably happy life, then understand this. Happiness, blessedness comes to those who know they are spiritually poor. Happiness, blessedness comes to those who understand how bankrupt they are without God, how needy they are. It's a blessed way to be, to know how needy you are. So, I'm asking you today to make a commitment. Not to me, but to God and to yourself. You see on the back side of your connection card some next steps identified for you. And I am encouraging you to make a commitment to God and to yourself. I'm going to be a part of all eight Sundays and what God's up to here. I'm going to be a part of eight group meetings and see what God does in my life. I'm going to participate in the reading and in the praying and in the writing of stuff in the sharing with one another. Maybe there's another commitment you want to fill out there. But I'm going to encourage you in a moment when we uh, receive our offering that you present that connection card as an offering of yourself, as an offering of commitment to God. Do that so that you can stop denying the pain. Do that so that you can stop playing God. Friends, you can't control God. You can't control other people. You can't control a million circumstances that happen all around your life every day. In other words, you're out of control. And so stop playing like you are in control. Stop playing like you're God. Stop denying that these things cause pain in your life. And start admitting your powerlessness. See, the Bible says with man, all kinds of things are impossible. 
with God, all things are possible. So start admitting your powerlessness. Because that's the path to understanding His powerfulness. Come eight Sundays. Go to eight group meetings so that you can start admitting your life. It's unmanageable. You don't have the power, the wisdom, the capacities to manage your life well every day of every week of every month of every year of a lifetime. But God does. So you look to Him and lean into Him in those kinds of ways. Let me pray for you. Lord, such a pregnant moment where you're trying to birth something in us, hope, vision, courage. So Lord, in this moment, will you help us take the step that we know we need to take and want to take? A step to admit our need. A step to be weak before You so that Your power comes upon us. In Jesus' name, Amen.